91. We're going to read the whole of Psalm 91. And as you're turning to it, that song, It is well with my soul. Wonderful song. We're going to tell you more about that story. The story that lies behind it. Even today, when we are singing and worshipping to the music and the, and the, and the words of, of a modern worship song, so often there's a story behind the story. When you're trying to give to God something and, and it's cost you nothing, it, it doesn't work. But when you've been tried and tested and you come out of an experience in which you thought, God, thank you that that one's over. Um, please delay the next one. <laughs> and God still puts you through it. You know that the testing of your faith produces something of value. And we're still singing those words, it is well with my soul. Knowing a little bit more about the story of a couple hundred years ago of what took place in the heart of that man who wrote, wrote that song. But we're going to the Word of God, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my satisfaction. I'm quite sure we're resting in the promises of God today. God's Word never fails. And He tells us that there's something that's going to happen to us if we learn to dwell in the secret place. We will find a security, a protection, where nothing will be able to take away our joy, where in the presence of God there is 
There is fullness and joy and satisfaction and everything that we truly and deeply long for. And even in the time of testing, may I say especially in the time of testing, we find the secret place to be the place of refuge, the place of peace, and the place of joy. That was the testimony of Horatio Spafford, a man who lived in the latter part of the 1800s. Many of you will know that there is a story that lies behind this song, It Is Well With My Soul. Not so many years ago, and Amanda and I had the experience of a lifetime. I'm not so sure that anything would top the joy of this experience. I'm not sure, just one of the high spots of, of our life together. We were invited by a Malaysian multi-millionaire, uh, and the company is worth billions, owning some of the biggest, biggest hotel chains in the world. And uh, when he's in London, he comes and worships at Kensington Temple. It just so happens that when he comes, the offerings go up by an enormous amount. But that is not <laughs> the source of my joy. <laughs> this man and his company bought out the uh, waterworks of Bath. Anybody who owns Bath Water Company uh, is in a very prestigious um, business. And uh, there was perhaps just a little bit of whining and moaning over the fact that this traditionally English institution was now in foreign hands. But uh, Francis and, and, and the company were well aware of wanting to give something back to the city of Bath. So in true uh, Francis fashion, nothing is done by halves, he said, I'm going to throw a party, an open-air party. It's going to be an open-air concert, and I'm going to invite Pavarotti to be the guest singer. But not just Pavarotti, all of the three tenors, Pavarotti, Carreras, and Domingo, the three tenors, to do one of their final appearances together. And so this was done on a big platform out there and with a big screen. And uh, Amanda and I, amongst others, were guests of honor, even mentioned publicly in the program, and uh, invited to a private reception with Pavarotti and the other three tenors. Anyway, let me stick to the real blessing <laughs> that, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm talking about here. And um, also... Part of the contract for the three tenors, which must have cost, I don't know, millions to get them there, was to sing this song, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, I gave a demonstration at the nine o'clock, and I was warned from repeating that at the eleven o'clock, but I want you to imagine the three tenors singing that with all their gusto, with all their classical training, and, and just imagine how amazing it was also to have in the audience a descendant, a member of the family, of the Spafford family. And she was also honored there, and to hear more and more about the story. Now, we know that this hymn was written by Horatio Spafford when he was making a journey on steamship from the United States to America, 
and at the point where a few weeks ago he, there was an, an, an accident and, and the ship sunk and, and all of Spafford's four daughters were drowned at sea. His wife sent a telegram saying, saved alone. And there over this place where his daughters drowned, he writes the song. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, you have taught me to know it is well. It is well with my soul. And that in itself is an amazing story that somebody could know God that deeply that he could trust God whatever the circumstances and still praise him, knowing that there is a deeper joy than all of external circumstances, evening, even circumstances which are as catastrophic and disastrous as that. But what we did not know at the time was that that was not the first bad thing that happened to this good man. How many people know bad things can happen to good people? The first disaster was the death of their only son who died in 1870 of scarlet fever. 1871 in Chicago, the great fire ruined Spafford financially. All his investments. As a successful lawyer, he had invested into property in the area of Chicago, and all of that was destroyed. And then, still more, his business interests were hit by the economic disasters uh, that hit the nation in 1873. And that's when he planned, he said, I am going to Europe. And he sent his wife and family ahead to just take care of some business stuff. And, and then that disaster, disaster struck. And what is amazing, that he was learning to sing that song deep in his heart. And it came out of the overflow of a peace that passes understanding. This message today is the last in a series of three on how we can reach out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, okay, Colin, get us some good news now so that we can tell other people. I've been thinking about this, reflecting on it. What is it that we have that nobody else has? What is our testimony? Is it the testimony of a changed life? Good. Good. I used to be a drug addict, but I am delivered now. I used to be a criminal, but I am now honest, and I'm, and I'm serving God in the community. I used to be this, I used to be that, but a change has happened in my life. Do you know that virtually every one of those testimonies can be reproduced whether you are a Christian or not? Have you noticed that? I could give you testimonies of Buddhists, of Hindus, of Muslims, and atheists who have had something happen in their life which has brought a massive change in their life and they've had some kind of moral reformation. 
But Jesus hasn't come just to give us a moral reformation. He's come to give us new life, life that is indestructible, life that is lodged so deep in us that the world cannot understand it. We can talk about the blessings that have come into our life. You know, since I've been a Christian and I've been tithing and double tithing, God has blessed me. My business has prospered. Even my wife's business has prospered. In fact, my wife's business has prospered so much that I'm, I'm beginning to get a bit jealous, God. You've got to bless my business as well. And we can talk about all the blessings that come in our life and we can say, God has done this for me. And that would be the truth. Amen? That would be the truth. But even that can be reproduced in the world. Just like when Moses was before Pharaoh, Every one of Pharaoh's magicians could reproduce every miracle that Moses could, could do. They could do it and they could reproduce it until the time came when there was something that they could not reproduce, something they could not manufacture. And they said, there is the finger of God. What is the finger of God in your life and my life? What is it about us that will just prove that something is happening in us that the world cannot receive, the world cannot understand all its religions, all its philosophies, or anything that the world... What is it? Well, of course, we know it is a person, Jesus Christ, but in a special way, that person taking up residence in our life that we know that our heart's desire is satisfied in Him and Him alone. Augustine, one of the great fathers of the church, spoke so often about the state of our hearts and the passion which drives out every inferior passion, the passion for the presence of God, the passion for the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to know Him and, and to pay any price it takes to know Him better, whatever the cost. And he told this uh, truth in the form of a parable. The parable goes roughly like this. There is a messenger of God that appears to a believer and says, I've got good news for you from heaven. You can have whatever your heart's heart desires. So draw a list of all the things that you want. If it's peace, write it down. If it's prosperity, write it down. If it is loads of kids honoring and loving God, write it down. If it's health, write it down. If it's long life, write it down. And when you finish writing all the things that you want from life, when you write them down, God promises to give you every single one of them. But on one condition, you can have all of that, but you will never see my face. Just imagine for a moment, this is only a parable, and I'm going to underline the point in a moment, but imagine, never ever seeing the face of God. What does that do to you inside? Does it send a chill down your spine? That chill that is running down the spine of every believer here 
that is your love for God. And that love is the miracle that God has worked in our hearts. So that when it really comes down to it, we want Him. Not just the good life, not just the better life, not just happiness in life. If it, if it ever came down to this, we can have all of that, but not see His face. There's a longing inside us that would say, give me Jesus. That's the miracle that we have. And that's the fragrance of Christ that the devil can never reproduce. Our love for Jesus. And this abides within us in what we call, the Bible calls, the secret place. Here we have Psalm 91, which is all about the secret place, dwelling in the secret place, abiding in the secret place, where it's us and God and we see His face and He's our refuge and we put all our trust in Him as we draw near to Him in the secret place. That inner longing of fellowship with God that the born-again experience has placed within our lives something that is so profoundly satisfying that people, places, or things could never, ever fill. Nothing could ever substitute. Nothing, no blessing, no matter how wonderful, would ever be a substitute for that deep fellowship, knowing God and seeing His face. There's that God-shaped hole that only God can fill. And you know what? He is filling it. Deep with anything else. We might be concerned about all kinds of things, worried about all kinds of things. Maybe there's deep pain in our lives. Maybe there's all kinds of stuff that's going wrong or all kinds of stuff that's going right. We know that we can put all those things on one side and who we are in Him and who He is in us is all that really, really matters. The secret place. That's the deepest place of your personality which is made for fellowship with God. It's made for God to live there. And we know all of this is represented in the Old Testament by the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And that was the place, the, the inner part of the sanctuary behind the veil, the veil of separation. In there, God was pleased to dwell and manifest himself and manifest his glory but that way was very largely barred to the whole nation God dwelt in the midst but very few were able to come into that very presence and enjoy the immediate presence of God in fact only the high priest once a year if you read the text he could go in twice, but it was just once a year on one day, the Day of Atonement, he would go into the presence of God, not so much to enjoy the presence of God, but to present the blood of the sacrifice so that God's people's sins will be covered 
for another year, and then quickly withdraw. How amazing it is as the Gospels show us that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, God saying, the way is open, and now all may come in and dwell in my presence. And it's even more than that, friends, because it's not just that we enter into the presence of God and dwell in His presence. God takes up residence in our hearts. And so for us now, the secret place is not to some museum, if we could ever find that veil, and it was ripped by God, and here it is, or, or, or to some geographical part of the world, into some building that now stands still, where we can say, now, that's where we go into the presence of God. I want to tell you, friends, you don't have to get a, catch a plane to Israel to find the presence of God. God dwells within us. God dwells by His Holy Spirit secret place. You notice my message today is entitled, The Secret Place, A Tale of Two Bridges. And there are two bridges that are not often traveled. We don't have to build this bridge. The bridge is Christ. And the invitation is by the Holy Spirit that we cross this first bridge. The first bridge is the bridge from the busyness of our outward life into the sanctuary of the inner life where we commune with God. It's very difficult, isn't it, friends, because we're so, we're so taken up with, with the external stuff, the, the daily necessities, the stuff that is happening every day that is occupying our mind, the busyness of daily life, especially in London, and all the, the hardships and the pressure, the dog-eat-dog dog society in which we live, hanging on with our fingernails sometimes, trying to get ahead, trying to, trying to make something of our lives, the daily concerns and our lifelong ambitions can keep us outside the secret place unless we say, I am going to cross that bridge. I'm going to deliberately just shut, shut out those daily concerns and, and the stuff that I strive for, all the blessings that I try to get from God and the way that I go about it and all the pain and the suffering that I try to avoid or the pain that I have within me that my life ambition is to get healed. And we say, God, I let all that go. It's all about you. I come to dwell in the secret place. I trust you. I draw near to you. I want you. You know, really, when we look at all the promises in the Bible, somebody said there are 6,000 promises in the Bible. I don't know. I've not counted them. All of them. Do you know, all those promises boil down to one thing. Do you know what God really promises us? Does He promise us a quiet life? He says, in the world you'll have trouble. What does he promise us? What does he really promise us? Does he promise us peace and his presence in every situation? Or does he promise there'll be no situation that we have to worry about? Every one of us today, if we had a chance, we'd be able to say, do you know what? God has so blessed me. We can really, really say, God, you've blessed me so much. We're here today. And you look pretty blessed. 
Amen? But also every one of us can say, do you know what? There's some pain in my life. There's some struggles. I don't know where, where now, whether you are floating in the blessing or you're struggling in the struggle, but both these things are part of our experience. And they both have the same purpose. The blessing that God pours out in our life is to draw us closer to Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blessing in my life. It's not to make us arrogant and say, I've done something right. All my three kids are married, blessed. One is married to a doctor. The other one is a doctor. And the other one is a successful mega church leader. Hasn't God blessed me? Tell you what, friends. He's blessed me because I know how to count the blessings. I know how to secure the promises. See, you need to, I'll write a book about it, How to Be Blessed as I Am Blessed. The passing of William Lee this last week was for us a shock. We, none of us understood. There was no hint that there was any illness that was life-threatening. But a man who on this very platform for two years preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, saw hundreds, indeed thousands of people come, and outstanding miracles. Something's happened that doesn't fit with if I live my life one way, God is going to have to bless me. There is no arm-twisting theology. God, have you noticed? I've paid tithes for a month and you still haven't blessed me. But I know what to do. Next month, I'm going to pay double tithes, and I'm going to keep doubling and trebling my tithes until you give me what I want. People of God, God is not a slot machine. He, he wants us to draw near to Him. And, and thank God for second-place blessings, as long as they are in the second place. When we make second-place blessings first place, we become idolaters. That's what Jesus said when he said, listen, get the priority right. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. Put him first in your life. And all these things, all these things will be added as well. What's that telling us? It tells us a lot of stuff, but one thing it tells me is that even the very best of what God will bless us with and give us in this life is only second blessing, second level blessing. It's additional. The heart of the promise is God himself. That's all he ever really, really promises. And we know that as he pours out his blessing and into this life that we have, and we know that it's a foretaste of the life that is to come. And Spafford was able to say, do you know what? After all of this, I know two things. Number one, Jesus shed his blood for me and my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. But in the meantime, I'm going to learn to enjoy God for himself. I'm entering the secret place. What, whatever may happen, it may, a, a thousand may fall on my left hand, 10,000 on my right hand, and I might even be one of them. But it's not going to touch me because I have an impregnable fortress where Jesus dwells and it is the fortress of peace and joy and blessing in the midst of the storm. 
So God is calling us away from the outer courts of daily concerns to the lifelong and, and our lifelong ambitions that we might draw near to him through the bridge who is Jesus to open the way for us to enjoy the imag unimaginable delights of the Father's presence. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, not in my bank account, not in my material blessings, not in the good circumstances that surround me, but in your presence. The second bridge is the bridge that leads us from the secret place back into the public place. And when this happens, I can only say it in French, quelle différence. What a difference that makes. I've been talking to my primary leaders and saying, what is your testimony? And they start giving their testimony. They say, no, 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 that's not your testimony. Write it again. No, no, that's not your testimony. Write it again. So, well, okay, what is our testimony? Our testimony is this, friends. It's not just how much God has blessed us or how much we have. There's always going to be somebody richer than you. And the chances are that's going to be a pagan. Have you noticed that? It's hard enough to come to terms with the fact that bad things happen to good people like me and you. But when good things happen to bad people, that's going too far, God. God's love is not measured to us or limited by those external things. And when we've been in the presence of God and we're just basking in his presence and worshiping him and finding the fulfillment, our satisfaction in him, nothing else we want, you're all that I want, you're all that and nothing else, nothing ever could compare to you, I'm drawing close to you. And in that experience, suddenly it all makes sense really is. He really is enough. And while we'd love to say, God is enough and give me some of the blessings as well, amen, we know that's not the deal. The deal is, Lord, I love you and whatever you choose to give me and bless me with, that's a bonus. But if it ever was all taken away, as in the case of Job, as in the case of Spafford, you would think that would be the end if he'd have gone and found another religion. Do you know what he did? God blessed them with a few more children. And they went to Israel. Instead of business, they started ministering to the poor. Out of that disaster, out of that crushing, came a fragrance that can only originate in the secret place. And as they went out into the secret, from the secret place back into the public place, they carried something with them they never had before. And it's that fragrance that your non-Christian friends will sense flowing from your life. They step into the office and go, what is it? 
they'll sit you down and say, what is it about you? There's something different. I can't quite put my finger on it. Tease them a little bit and say, oh, ho, ho. if I told you, you would never believe me. And then keep on working. <laughs> but that's the attraction of the Holy Spirit, the fragrance of the presence of Jesus which is authentic and it is so supernatural, so of the kingdom of God, that the devil could never manufacture that perfume even if he tried. And there from the secret place, we shed the knowledge of Jesus abroad and they know that we know something and that we have something that if they were honest they long for for if our happiness and peace and joy depends only on external things we are no better than pagans but if our springs of joy are in him and God is the sole passion and goal of our lives we not only will be able to live with and cope with the difficult, doesn't make it less painful. That man, Spafford, didn't just say, well, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Out of the sorrow of his broken heart, when all his dreams are shattered, he said, God, I thank you that you never let me down. And he came to know God in a deeper way, and that changed the direction of his life. He began to serve. This is what I want us to be like. I want us not just to go and say, well, okay, I better evangelize. Here's a few tracts. Here's a few gospel services. And we'll bring Christian to preach the gospel. And we'll say amen. But no, let the fragrance of Christ, let the love of Jesus, the, the, the living waters of the Holy Spirit flow from you from that deep place of the inner sanctuary where you have met with God and con con communed with him and they will take counsel and say, that person's been with Jesus. I want the musicians to come. We're gonna have, we, we haven't done with praising God. Come musicians now. We, 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 we're going to go to the secret place. Maybe say, well, I'm already there. God bless you. But we're going to enjoy him. And we're going to enter into his presence. And just as soon as we start to worship, please don't wait for warm-up. Warm-up is finished. We're entering in his presence. The world is waiting for this kind of testimony. The testimony that can only flow from a heart that is communed with God. This testimony has nothing to do with our success or our ability to impress. It comes from the sweetness of the life that exists and only exists in the secret place with the motivation of bringing him glory and making him look good. Even in the good times, when they see that we're grateful to God and don't say, well, I'm entitled to this. I'm a believer after all. God's got to bless me. But we're overwhelmed by his goodness, overwhelmed by his mercy when things are going well. Hallelujah. If things are going well and anyway, we praise God, we rejoice. Hallelujah. But even more so in the bad times, they'll see, hey, this person hasn't abandoned his faith. 
This person loves God. This person isn't in it for what he can get out of it. Just as the taunting question came from Satan concerning Job. Does Job love God for nothing? You've blessed him so much, of course he'd love you. Just withhold some of those blessings. We'll see him curse you to his face, to your face. That's the world. But the Spirit of God says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All I want is you. Show me your glory, Lord.